What a great, great old song of the faith. And uh, so I praise the Lord for that. Great reminder. You know, sometimes this world, um, you know, I've said before in different ways, uh, there's my other glasses. I've been looking for them all day today. And uh, this is my backup pair. This is my good pair. But, uh, well, I don't want to do that. Miss Dana doesn't like it when I wear them on top of my head. Uh, so I'll put them back in here. So. But I was thinking about as uh, the ladies were singing there, just to kind of go along too with what we was talking about earlier, you know, uh, we just have a, a God that always, you know, we, we, we tend to worry. We talked about this uh, yesterday with our men's meeting. You know, we tend to fear a lot of things, and, and a lot of that's, you know, just our nature. Um, but we have a God in heaven that has given us so many promises. Um, I don't know about you, but if you read the back of the book, it's pretty good. Amen? You know, and uh, we know that uh, in light of eternity, we're just we're just not here very long, are we? I mean, it's just a short span of our existence that we're living right now. And one of these days, we're going to step off into eternity, and and you know that's that's a long time. And uh, God has just given us a lot of promises, uh, and we are safe in His arms at all times. And uh, so I thank you, and I thank the Lord for that. Appreciate that song, too. We sang, uh, I Will Sing of the Mercies of the Lord. I actually, uh, you know, we we got through it last Sunday with me leading the music. But I uh, uh, I was going to sing that song, try to sing it. But I remember one time I was leading that song, and I didn't know how to stop it. <laughs> we just kept going, and I didn't know how to end it. So I, was, I, I, had, I had fears there, so I didn't do it. So, brother, I'm glad you uh, uh, did it. And I couldn't, I don't understand how to read the hymnal. And I was like, man, I don't want to get up there and not be able to finish. Because this is one of those songs, you're not careful, you don't know how to end it. And you'll just start singing it again. And I didn't think y'all wanted to sing, I will sing the mercies of the Lord for 45 minutes. And and uh, so, uh, so, but I appreciate it. It's a good song. And uh, we've had a good time in the Lord already tonight. All right, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And uh, we'll uh, read the text here in just a moment. I think I got my mic on. And... Uh, uh, we're going to be looking at the writing on the wall. Most of us uh, tonight probably understand the context here, Belshazzar, uh, uh, referred to as the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but we know he's actually his grandson, and um, uh, saw the writing on the wall there and some things that happened. So we're going to look at that tonight. And I was thinking this afternoon, if we were to summarize the whole duty of man, mankind that is, in one sentence, how would we do that? And the answer to that actually uh, has already been done. It's in a verse of Scripture. And I have it here on my notes. I wrote it down here. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And really that's just what it boils down to. Is, is It takes faith to do what God says. But that's our duty. Uh, to do what he says and to keep his commandments. And tonight we're going to be looking at the writing on the wall. Now most uh, scholars, theologians believe that, and it could be, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if it is exactly correct, but it could be correct, that the like the finger of God wrote on the tablets of the Ten Commandments, there's a lot of guys and um, uh, theologians that believe that the fingers seen in our text uh, were also the fingers of God as well, which very well could be. Certainly God was behind it all. Now we've looked at uh, Nebuchadnezzar pretty much throughout 
these first uh, uh, four chapters of of uh, uh, of the book of Daniel, and uh, we spent a lot of time looking at him. Now we come to chapter five. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has passed off the scene; is probably dead by now. And uh, now we're looking at his grandson, a very wicked man, by uh, the name of Belshazzar. And uh, uh, he's uh, a very wicked king, as we're going to see here in just a moment. And uh, we're going to see here in this chapter uh, that his uh, time is short. And uh, that uh, the great Babylon city uh, that was supposed to never be taken is going to be taken. And we'll see the rise of the Medes and the Persians as we think about that uh, image that we talked about a few uh, uh, lessons ago. So we're going to take a look at all that and kind of regroup on some things. But before we do, we'll go ahead and stand in reverence to the Word of God. We're going to be kind of going through the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read the first six verses to begin with, just to kind of set the tone. And and, uh, we'll be looking here again at uh, Belshazzar, uh, the king of Babylon. It says in verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, we know that to be his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. So these were uh, the things that uh, were in Jerusalem that were dedicated to uh, the Lord. Uh, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, concubines that is, might drink therein. Isn't that pitiful? Verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Verse 5 says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. We notice verse 6. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Again, we're preaching tonight about the writing on the wall. Father, we ask your blessing upon the preaching, teaching, reading of the Word of God tonight as we'll be looking at some other scriptures as well. And Father, as we try to make some application today, uh, Father, with certain attitudes toward the things of God, I think of our country as well. And so, Lord, I just yield myself to you the best way I know how. I pray, dear God, that I would just say the words that you'd have me to speak. Father, when the time comes for us to respond to the preaching of the Word of God, that we do so accordingly. And again, Lord, we'll thank you for all of it. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen and amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Amen. So we see there the writing uh, on the wall. Now, the if you've ever studied, uh, uh, just even in secular history, you could read a lot of stuff as well. But uh, there's a lot of things concerning the city of Babylon during this time. Um, At this particular time, it was probably, arguably, the greatest city on earth. And I think the Bible even alludes to that. It has been called, over the eons, the city of gold. There was a lot of wealth there. A lot of uh, uh, fascinating things, even in that time. It was a city that, you know, no doubt was wicked, but was cultured, if you will, as far as art and clever architecture, those types of things. 
learning of all kinds, uh, you know, stars, uh, you know, the, the astronomy, all those types of things. Um, it is said that the city was probably about 15 square miles, and the wall, the outer wall that was around this city was just unbelievably big. Um, it was 350 feet tall. Just think about that for just a minute. It was 750 feet thick at its base. 750 feet. And it's uh, uh, 350 foot tall. Um, It was 300 foot thick at the top. It was said that six large chariots could ride side by side around the top of this outer wall. And it was amazing because the Euphrates River, or possibly a channel from the river, uh, there's some debate about that, but still amazing any way you look at it, and it ran right through the middle of the city of Babylon. So this was an amazing city. Uh, and and not, now you have that huge wall, but then there was another inner wall <laughs> that was pretty formidable, uh, and I won't go through all the, 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 the measurements on it, but it was 250 feet t- tall. And that's where you would find uh, uh, the hanging gardens. And you ought to research that sometime. They, are consider- they were considered at one time a wonder of the world, certainly an ancient wonder of the world, those hanging gardens. They were massive and they, hang- they hung. And so it was a, really a remarkable city. But in the midst of all this, we, we find a feast given by the king of Babylon, Belshazzar. And uh, we find this huge dining room. Obviously, it's big enough to feed uh, at least a thousand lords, and certainly there were probably more than that there, probably three times that, maybe even more than that. Um, I read one time, uh, and this isn't in the Bible, but just some, some history on it, that they had trained peacocks with golden harnesses that pulled carts loaded with food and wine. I mean, this was just, you know, just an amazing... Well, you know, I don't necessarily say that in a positive way, but certainly a spectacle, uh, if you will. Uh, a, a, a flaunting of, of wealth uh, and, and power. But now, make no mistake about this. This was a pit of sin and degradation. I mean, this was an awful display of idol worship and, and really pure evil. Um, these were drunken parties and with a lot of immorality that was taking place in the open. And Belshazzar said at the top of all this, he was a wicked and prideful man. But God, as we saw there, was going to spoil this party. And he'd had enough. And by the end of that very night, Belshazzar would be dead, and the Babylonian Empire would fall. And we see that in verse 30 of chapter 5. In the night was Belshazzar, the king of of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, uh, being about threescore two years old. So we see here the very fall of Babylon that Daniel prophesied about uh, earlier in this book. So I just want to kind of consider this story, take a few thoughts, uh, and, and then make some application for today. And the first thing is that we're looking at is we're looking, looking at some unholy acts by the king and his guests. And I've made a lot of application to America throughout these lessons so far, and I'll do the same thing today. And we read there in verse 1, and even alluded to in verse 2, about the drunkenness, the wine. Make no mistake, this was just a drunken party. And when it comes to uh, the alcohol industry, I I wish America would wake up and see the truth. I mean, um, 
it, it, it causes a lot of problems uh, just, you know, socially. Uh, a lot of innocent people suffer because of, of alcohol. Uh, but, but besides all of that, people who drink, they do stupid things, they say stupid things, and they think stupid things. Um, nowhere in the Bible, uh, you know, will we find that God gives a nod to alcohol. I just don't believe that. And I want to uh, hold your place there in the book of Daniel, but let's look at a couple places. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. We might do some teaching on, on alcohol, maybe a little more in depth someday. But uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, and there's many verses we could look at, but it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What does being not wise mean? It means you're a fool. It means that you're a fool. We also go to Proverbs very close there, Proverbs 23. And we have a pretty good-sized passage of Scripture, but it bears reading. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, beginning with verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Here's the answer to those questions. They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look that look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, there's the immorality, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth uh, upon the top of a mast. We think of a staggering drunk there. Verse 35, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? And no notice what it says at the end of that verse. After all of that, I will seek it yet again. And certainly, even right now, there are men and women that I've known and grown up with that come through my mind as I read those passages of Scripture in knowing that alcohol makes them miserable, but they return to it again. I know there's a lot of, uh, and we should be, we should be outraged at the legalizing of marijuana. Amen? But I want to tell you something. Number one drug in America is not pot, it's alcohol. Alcohol has done more to hurt people than, I would probably say, than all the other drugs put together. And that's not to, you know, that they're They're serious. But I'm just saying, we've, we've shut our eyes and closed our ears when it comes uh, to the immorality of alcohol. And as I said, even on down into verse 2, we begin to see this drunken party, an immoral party. Uh, and again, this kind of atmosphere, no doubt, spurred on by drunkenness. It's the kind of atmosphere when people do things that they normally wouldn't do. Uh, listen, there, <clears throat> there is no honor in a drunken party. Amen. <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, I don't watch you know outside TV much, but I do remember in the days, you know, the the Budweiser commercials and the Miller commercials and different you know wine coolers and stuff, and they always make it look you know real proper and and dignified. That is a lie. This is nothing like that, not at all. Um, and and there's no honor in a drunken party where where men and women. Uh, really uh, fulfill the lust of the flesh and again do things that they normally wouldn't do. 
We don't have to turn there, but we was in Proverbs 23, but in verse 20, uh, it tells us, be not among wine bitters. That means you don't go to those parties. Well, I go to those parties, but I don't drink. God says, don't be among the wine bitters. Amen. You shouldn't drink, but you don't want to be around that mess either. Uh, it's, it's just something that, that we don't need to be around. <coughs> Excuse me. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15 says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Again, we see it time after time. Alcohol and immorality all tied together. And as we read there in verse 3 and 4, we see the desecration of those holy things, the things that were in the temple that were dedicated to God that had been taken to Babylon now being used uh, at this drunken party to praise false gods that didn't even exist. So what a, what a I mean, just what a, what a blasphemous a- uh, atmosphere we have here. Now, could you imagine... Again, just think about the arrogance, not all of everybody there, but we'll just, you know, we'll hang this all on Belshazzar tonight. Just think of the arrogance of Belshazzar. I mean, think about this. I mean, this was, this was a direct sin against God. And believe you me, he knew what those things were. He knew where they came from. We're going to find out he also knew what his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had been through when he tried to defy God. He knew all of this. Yet he still sat there that night uh, and did the things that he did, a direct sin against God. And again, we think back about what God did to Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride <clears throat> in those seven years uh, of living like an animal. Uh, and that was something that Daniel would re, you know, uh, remind Belshazzar, and you knew this. You, you, know, you knew this is what had happened to your grandfather. But again, uh, uh, his pride uh, had taken over and his arrogance uh, had taken over. And later, Daniel would interpret the writing on the wall. We're not going to read all that tonight, but he would interpret the writing on the wall and explain some things uh, about verse 17 down through verse 21. And there's where Daniel reminds Belshazzar about King Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, that's verse 22. It says after after he uh, uh, interprets the writing on the wall, uh, the end of the kingdom was near. And uh, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he says, And thou, this son of of, Belshazzar, and thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, that, though thou knewest all of this. He said, you didn't learn from your grandfather. You, didn't, you know, he, he did humble himself and acknowledge the true God of heaven. He says, but you haven't done that. Matter of fact, you did just the opposite. Uh, you kicked dirt up in the face of God. And so with this direct insult to the God of heaven, uh, those things which were for temple use only, as I explained, being used to praise those false gods and idols in this drunken party, uh, God had had enough. Now, I, I understand that, praise the Lord, we live in a dispensation of grace today, amen, uh, this church age, but we need not forget for a saved person that your body, listen now, if you're saved tonight, your body is a holy temple, and I believe that God still feels the same way about the holy temple as he ever has. Now that ought to do something for us tonight. Amen? I've often told folks, uh, you know, if, if, uh, uh, you know, if I came to, up here to this pulpit and had me a, 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 a can of beer sitting here and a cigarette in my hand, uh, people would say, that ought not be in the house of God. And I would agree. I would hope that 
some of these men would come up here and escort me out the door if that was the case. But let me do my preaching, brother. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of these things that we might get upset about inside the church house, we allow not just in our own homes, but in our own bodies. Amen? May I, may I dare say that this is just a building? That if I was to smoke a cigarette, and I'm not saying we would do this, but if I was to smoke a cigarette in here, God wouldn't be pleased with that, but he's more displeased when a child of God does it. Because you are the temple, not this. You, you see what I'm trying to say? Amen. So your body is the holy temple of God. Hey, let's hold our place there again. Let's go back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll just go ahead and read it there so you just don't think that I'm just up here flapping my yap, which I am, but it is the Bible, amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Yeah, verse 19, notice what it says. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye, uh, I'm sorry, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? It's my body. I can do what I want with it. No, it ain't. For ye are bought with a price. When we think about the cross of Calvary, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, listen, when I think about what happened there in the book of Daniel and the desecration of the, whole, the things of the holy temple of God, we ought to set up and take notice. Hey, your body, if you're saved tonight, is a holy temple of God. We need to be careful about unholy acts. Amen? Let's also talk about this uninvited, unexpected guest that crashes the party. We read there in verse 5, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall, and the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and this arrogant man got sober real quick. And then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The party was over. Amen. The mood changed. Things got real serious and somber real quick-like. I mean, you know, I was just trying to imagine this this afternoon. You know, I just, you know, that mood, I guarantee it was like that. Instantly. Quick. And again, I think about America, you know, and, you know, throughout these lessons certainly comes across my mind. And, and I wonder sometimes, is God going to do something similar? You know, I don't know. He could. You know, and we think about abortion and some of the things we talked about this morning. You know, each time a law is passed that defies Scripture, amen, that promotes drunkenness and makes immorality normal, legal, what have you, desecrates really the very things that our country was founded on that are biblical things. I wonder, will the writing on the wall be all of a sudden like? I just wonder about that sometimes. You know, we'll, a lot of times America, uh, uh, we're not a democracy but a republic, but, you know, a lot of times people look at democracy in America and, and say, you know, they call it the great experiment. 
And I wonder sometimes if the so-called great experiment is going to come to a screeching halt someday. It came to a screeching halt here, didn't it? I mean, let's, let's remember what Babylon was. The most powerful empire on the face of the planet at that time. And in one night, God put a stop to it. One night, God put a stop to it. We should keep in mind, you know, a lot of us think because all these bad things are going on in America that the rapture could come any minute. Just let me say, there's a lot of countries been going through the same things through years and years. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is America could fall way before the rapture ever comes. Amen. I want to say that again. America could fall flat on her face way before the rapture ever comes. The rapture in America aren't connected, folks, in my estimation. And I believe it could very well be sudden-like. I hope that it's not, but I believe that it could be. So we see a king with no spiritual discernment. Look at verse 7 and 9. And so his knees are knocking together. The king cried aloud, verse 7, to bring in the astrologers, uh, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake. You know, this is kind of familiar-sounding things. Uh, This seems to be something that was always going on. And said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and shew me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known the king the interpretation thereof. You know, here we really have an example of what the Bible teaches about the lost and the truth. You know, uh, unsaved people cannot understand spiritual matters. And that was the issue here. And I see this a lot. Uh, They can't understand what the Bible is or or what it's really saying. They can read the words, uh, but they're spiritually discerned. They're not going to understand the message of the Bible, nor will they believe it. They need to be be saved. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And I remember before I was saved, I, I, I felt this very way. It says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that's what the king was, but just like the king did then, and a lot of people do today, this always amazes me, the king, just like a lot of people today, they know things are not right, obviously, here, amen, they know things aren't going right, but they are so prideful, they are so ungodly, they still won't give in to God. And the king... The king, I see this all the time, the king turned to the lost to try to figure out what God was saying. I mean, isn't that the silliest thing? So the king says, okay, I'm lost, I can't figure it out, so I'll get some more lost people so they can tell me what God's saying. (laughs) That's the way it is today. I see a lot of people that, that are looking for some truth, they're looking for their help from people that don't even know God. I don't know about you, but I don't think I want the advice of somebody that doesn't have enough sense to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. I don't care what else they know or how smart you might. Hey, listen, if you ain't got enough sense to get saved after you've heard the gospel, you've got some problems. I believe I would rather talk to somebody else. Amen? You know, a lot of people are, are struggling in life. 
you know, and they're looking and they're searching and they're reading all kinds of stuff and they're getting educated. And sometimes I want to just say, would you just quit trying to figure things out you can't understand until you get saved? <laughs> get saved, amen? And then you'll understand quite easily, as a matter of fact. Matter of fact, you can open up the Bible and work through any situation that you're facing in life. God has the answer. Praise the Lord for that. We see Daniel interprets the writing on the wall in uh, verse 25, and uh, not sure if I'm getting these words exactly right, but he says, and this is the writing that was written, meany, meany, uh, tekel, a pharisan, a pharisan that is. He says, this is the interpretation of the thing. And he begins to explain what these words mean. And first of all, as I said a while ago, this party was over. Uh, he says in verse 26, this is an interpretation of the thing, meany, or meany, uh, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. In other words, you, Belshazzar, but even greater than that, Babylon is done. It's finished. It's finished. So we see that. Then we see the king had been judged in verse 27, uh, Tekel. Uh, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. He had been weighed against the righteousness of God, and he was found wanting. I think of the great white throne judgment when I when I think about that. The Bible says that there's going to be a, uh, after the end of the millennial reign, the great white throne judgment's going to take place. That's all the lost are going to stand before God, and the Bible says they're not going to have any place to go. You know, have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you was a kid, or, or you know, you, you was in a situation, and, and you're looking for a way. You know, man, I got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, and then that's how it's going to be for the lost. But they're not going to have any place to go. Their righteousness has been weighed in the balance, and they're going to be found wanting. That's a terrible thought to think about. And then we see in verse uh, five, we see. Um, uh, the word uh, Perez, which is just another word for what I understand of of a Pharisee. Uh, I'm not saying that right, but but uh, it's just another word for it. it has something to do with uh, some punctuations. But what that's talking about is it is that his kingdom was going to be divided, given to another, um, and we know that it was divided between the Medes and the Persians. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the of the image and the head of gold. That represented Babylon, remember? Well, it just fell off. And then you have the chest and the arms of silver. If you remember, that represented that next world, uh, Gentile world empire, uh, the Medes and the Persians. That was actually taking place that night. It was happening. Prophecy was being fulfilled, just as Daniel said that it would. And the Medes and the Persians, and a lot of people believe really at that very moment of this big party, that the Medes were marching under the wall because what they did is they diverted the river and it left a big gap. Remember the river that ran through Babylon? Left a big gap under the wall and they just marched under uh, and they took the city and killed uh, Belshazzar that very night just as Daniel said that they would. And I was thinking about that as they're having their party, the enemies outside coming in. I mean, they're within minutes of... Of, of being totally wiped out and destroyed. And I think about all the people out there 
so many times people are are far from God and they don't realize their world is crumbling beneath them. They, they, don't, they don't even realize it. But, it, but it's, it's happening. And, and what I would probably say tonight, first of all, is are you saved? You know, I'm not asking if you believe in God. Uh, the devils believe in tremble, right? So, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking if you believe in God. Um, I'm not asking if you've been baptized. You know, uh, I'm not asking you about religious things that you've done. But, but I'm asking you, are you saved tonight? <laughs> you know, um, again, we, we, just, we just don't know what the next minute will bring. Belshazzar was playing games with God, and, that, and he lost. I mean, he lost as much as a person can lose. Uh, tonight, Belshazzar is in hell. And, and, and listen, we don't want to play games with God. It, it's not a funny game. It's, it's, it's not, this is very serious. And, and someday our life will be over. Just like he told him there, you know, in, in verse, uh, uh, 26, uh, many, many. In other words, you know, you're done. It's finished. Your kingdom is over. And, and the next thing after we die is that we're going to be judged. And if you're lost, that TKL again, you're going to be found wanting. You're going to have no place to go. None whatsoever. Very serious. And, you know, I, I think of that terrible thought of lost people going off into eternity where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And when they do, they, they, once they stand, you know, and die in, the, in their sin, they have lost the chance of the kingdom of God. That up, uh, you know, up, uh, that, that, uh, uh, or, or as it's said up there, the, up, uh, up Harson. I'm not saying that right. I can't remember how to say it. But, but that's what that reminds me of. You know, your, your kingdom has been gone. You've missed the kingdom. And those that are lost, they miss the kingdom of God. And that's sad. It's tragic. But it really takes us back to, what I read at the beginning of this message, the whole duty of man. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Belshazzar could have done this. And millions, maybe billions of others that have died without Christ could have done the same thing. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You know, when we read about these historical events, these things that actually happen, they're here for a reason. And they're to get a hold of our hearts and help us to understand things. First of all, if we need to get saved, we need to get saved. Those of our that saved, we need to remember that we need to be living worthy uh, of a child of God. Amen. Not to be and stay saved, but because we're saved, we ought to be, you know, our, our body's a holy temple. And it also ought to cause us to get out there and let folks know that there's a Savior. These people need to be saved. They need to hear about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and how to be saved. And we have a wonderful Bible uh, that shows us how to do all those things. Um, again, I think about just uh, our country, even uh, people's personal lives. I've got loved ones that one of these days, if they don't get their heart right, they're going to see the writing on the wall. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. I don't want that to happen. I want to see him get saved. 
So let's all stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed as our pianist comes. We'll have a time of prayer tonight.